And I learned my first very, very valuable radio lesson that day. His response was, if you can sell it, you can have it. We welcome sports broadcaster Nikki Noto-Palmer. I'm Nikki Noto, and I'm coming to you from our Fox Sports studio. This season of ESPNU Road Trip. Coach, we've got to talk about your defense welcome real quick. Welcome to ACC All Access. The upcoming schedule for the Hornets. Hey there, Falcons fan. Welcome back to the Hurricanes Intermission Report. Back at the Walt Disney World Resort. I've got donuts, so that's all we need. Hey, everyone. This episode features Cole Kublik's storyline. Cole hustles hard and never meets a challenge he doesn't like. He hosts a radio show in Birmingham, Alabama, AKA the epicenter of SEC football. He's a familiar face when it comes to SEC games on ESPN. If you're an Auburn fan, I know his name will ring a bell for he was a four-year starter from 96 to 2001 as an offensive lineman and captain. He is also a husband to Catherine and their three precious little ones, can't forget the dogs. And I also can't leave out that he is a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Here's Cole Kublik's storyline. I want to take it back with your story. You got a media degree from Auburn. Shoot me straight. What did you learn with that media degree? And, and, and what did you take with you to your first radio gig? Oh, come on. I mean, you're you're going to act like I didn't learn about Marconi and like all the history of radio. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think what it taught me more than anything else is that you're, you're going to have to be able to present information and you're going to have to be in front of people and you're going to have to make clear and precise points and you're going to have to understand the timing of those points. Um, now we could go into, you know, some of the detail about language and interviewing and presentation, all that kind of stuff. But I think what it asked of you while you were in class, in school, in projects was probably more valuable than anything else. Mm -hmm. It was, it was radio, television, and film when I started, and then they changed it to mass communication while I was in school. I was actually a business major first, and I took like pre, pre, before pre-algebra, calculus, something, and I was just like, you know what? If I got seven more of those, I'm not going to make it, so get me out of here. And um, we went through some different things, and I said, yeah, you know, I've always wanted to do radio, but I didn't know you could actually study that in school. And so that's when I went over and then it went to mass comm and that lost a little bit of focus on, you know, different individual parts that you maybe wanted to try and study. When I got out of school, I, I don't, I don't know if I thought it was real to be able to really get into it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I had been on, I had been on Paul's show, I think once as a recruit, um, I, I had gotten to know Rick and Bubba a little bit and I, I knew those guys a little bit and they had me on like right when I got done playing um, but it was, it was one of those things where to get into radio, it was intern for three to five years. And then maybe you're making 13, 15,000 a year. And they're just, what people don't understand is, and I know it was 20 years ago. It sounds like a long time ago, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. There weren't opportunities. There weren't jobs. Um, most local radio personalities were lifers. You know, and those guys didn't leave those jobs because they were great jobs. I mean, they're great jobs now, but then they were great jobs with a ton of value because there just weren't very many of them. You didn't have an internet entity covering every Power 5 football team, some having four or five different outlets covering them. Um, you know, there weren't online writers. There weren't subscription-based writers. There, there, there wasn't internet video 
that you could be a part of. There weren't streaming services. There weren't conference networks. Um, you know, I mean, hell, CSS wasn't even around when I got out of school. So, I mean, they're just – you, you either had an, an amazing opportunity with, with ESPN, CBS, ABC – and you know you were, or your career was set, or you had a local radio job and or a national radio job, and that was that was it. But there was just very mm-hmm. few of those to go around, so I didn't really think it was possible to even try to get into it. So I had an aunt that had been in pharmaceutical sales and medical sales. She was really successful, and she said you'd be great in pharma sales. And she describes the job, and then she mm-hmm. talks about the benefits and the money. And I was tired of having thirty-two dollars in my bank account, or eighteen dollars in my bank account, or mm-hmm. oh we. We can't go out to eat tonight. We got to wait until a check clears tomorrow or something like that. So I was ready to make a little money. I was pretty much broke in college. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, I found um, she helped me with the resume, and then I found a company that was interviewing in Birmingham. They were expanding. Santa Fe Synthalaba was the name of the company, and I think I I went to Orlando for training for three weeks at Disney. And I think they added like 1,200 reps at one time because this is right as Plavix was getting approved. It was nuts. And so I'll never forget, we were, we were in training in Orlando and we were getting ready to go out with like everybody in our class. And I said, well, let me hit the ATM. I'm like, this is not going to be good. And my first check had cleared. And I mean, I thought I was rich. I was like, I was like, guys, drinks on me tonight. We're, we're good. I mean, and it was, I mean, like five or $600 or something, but I mean, I, I was, I, yeah. thought I, was, I was good. We're, I, we've made it. <laughs> we're set. Nobody gets two drinks, just one. (laughs) Exactly. But, um, but that's kind of how it went. And then it, it didn't take long until I was able to sort of creep my way into radio. Um, because you know, that was, that was nine 11 that happened, uh, the next year. And so you're, you're kind of, you know, I stayed in school through the summer because I was on scholarship and I had a place to live. And then the job search kind of started after that. And then 9-11 happened. And so the hiring process happened a little bit after that because everything got pushed back. And the football season was, you know, we knew it was coming around. And there was a guy in Huntsville named Steve Shelton. And he owned a cluster of radio stations in North Alabama. I had met him through my dad because my dad lived in Huntsville when I was growing up. My parents got divorced when I was three. And I knew that one of the stations is still around, Rocket 95.1. It's like the rock station in Huntsville. It's a, it's a massive, massive station. My buddy, Cassio Kid, who I would do a show with later, he and Jimbo Wood are on the mornings there. Uh, they have a, a show that still goes. And so I literally just pulled in the parking lot one day. I had this weird idea. And I walk in, I said, is Steve here? And they said, yeah, he's up in his office. They buzzed him. He said, oh, send him up. And so I go sit down and I said, I got this crazy idea. I said, you carry Auburn football. I said, I live here. Ben Leard, who played quarterback with me, lives in Decatur, which is, you know, 25 mm-hmm. minutes away. I said, we know the team better than anybody. Why don't you give us a pre-pregame show, and we can break things down better than anybody else could? Because we were on the team last year. And I learned my first very, very valuable radio lesson that day. His response was, if you can sell it, you can have it. Yes. And I immediately – I. I still didn't get it then, and I don't even think a couple of years later, but obviously now, if you know the radio business, if you put up enough money, you can get anything on the air. I mean, it's just, you can. I mean, you and I could do a show about, you know, cosmetics on my station, Jocks in Birmingham. <laughs> if we put up enough cash, we could get on the air. I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah. It's just, that's radio. That's the way it goes. So, 
we, we went out and sold it and we got a couple people to advertise a couple hundred bucks a piece. And we did the show and I, I called my mom on the way home. I was driving down South Memorial Parkway to my apartment. I remember silver Pontiac Grand Prix. That was my company car that they gave me. And I remember calling my, I remember my cell phone. It was that, it was a singular, which this is dating me again, AT&T went around singular, this little silver phone that was like the top was shaped like an egg and it had this like this little like joystick on it. And I called my mom and I said, I was, that was home. That's where I need to be. I yeah. need to be behind that microphone. It was a 30 minute show. Keep in mind with commercials. So that's 17 minutes of content, maybe. So they, it's not like we were talking a whole lot. I mean, it was boom, boom, in and out. And she said, I learned my second media lesson that night. And she said, that's great don't quit your day job, make sure you can find a way to make it work. And then you can maybe go out and do it. Uh, we'll talk about it, but that wouldn't happen until many, many years later. So that was kind of college, like right into it, but technically not right into it. So did you stay in the pharmaceutical sales while doing that at the same time? I did. Um, I was in pharma for about three years. And then that took me into medical sales. I did mm -hmm. medical sales for well, I did medical sales for a company, K&W, in Birmingham, and then I went to a different division of medical sales that took me back mm -hmm. to Huntsville for another job. And that was probably a combined seven, eight years, both of those. Mm -hmm. um, the entire time, I mean, I was, I was dabbling all the time. Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, Dunaway and Brown, Jim Dunaway and Ryan Brown would have me on their yep. show in Birmingham. Lance Taylor would ask me to come sit in on his show for the entire hour. Um, ben and I still did our show. And Ben would move to Auburn after we did it in Huntsville for two years. Mm -hmm. And then he got us hooked up down there to do the same thing, except we did it in person on site for home games. And it went from a 30 minute show to a two hour show. Um, but we did that for a couple more years, which mm -hmm. that would actually, I mean, that was kind of the, it's weird how that show is kind of the springboard for everything because mm -hmm. Ben took it to Auburn. I, he, he get, deserves responsibility for that. Well, being in Auburn and then waiting for the Auburn network guys to take over after we did, I developed a relationship with John Cole, who at that time was the general manager of the Auburn network, who obviously ran Auburn mm -hmm. football's radio broadcasts. Well, when Stan White would go over to the radio booth, he was doing the CSS games. That's Comcast yep. Sports Southeast, for those of you who don't know, because it is not around anymore and you're not going to find much information about it. That's but right. That they were doing the spring games and the replays. Well, John Cole, when Stan went over to do radio, said, hey, you want to try to do the spring game on TV? And I was like, heck yeah, let's go. And so I went in there with Andy Burcham, and I had never done any kind of television in my life. Yeah. Other than as a college football player across the street, interviews by you know, local mm -hmm. and national media. And we did it. And it was a blast. And it was fun. And a lot of that credit goes, should go to Andy because he knew how to help make it easy. He was a pro then. He's a pro now. Mm -hmm. And it was just fun. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't take it all serious. I didn't have 10,000 notes. I was just, Hey, I know mm -hmm. the team. I'll talk about what they're doing. And that, that's that. So John liked it. And he said, do you want to do our replay broadcast? And it's weird because no one would even believe that this happened back then. But what would happen is a lot of schools in the league, Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, I think that's it had a home broadcast team. Mm -hmm. And so Andy Burcham and I, and if it was one of those other teams I mentioned, they would send their analyst in. We would call the game and then CSS would replay that broadcast throughout the week. So mm -hmm. it wasn't SEC Network running it 500 times 
or ESPN2 late at night or ESPNU at midnight. I mean, CSS had those rights and they ran it. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for, I think Andy and I did that for two years. And then ESPN started to move in and started mm-hmm. to pull some of those rights away. And we would only do the CBS games and the pay-per-view games. And then I think CBS said, okay, we're good. We, we'll, we'll keep that replay so we can mm-hmm. show that again. And then it turned into just the pay-per-view games. And one of the guys at CSS in Atlanta said, hey, I've, you've done a great job. I've got this Sunbelt package. Do you want that? Thinking back on it now, I should have said yes, but I want to keep the Auburn pay-per-view game. But I had no idea how to negotiate anything in media back then. So I was just like, <laughs> hold on a second. This is what I think I want to do. 13 games, one game. Being a former player, I knew the only way to get better is reps. So I think I'll take the 13 games. So, uh, and there were some Auburn people that were mad. They're like, why would you leave this to go to Sunbelt? Like, that's ridiculous. I can't believe it. And I, I knew I needed the reps. So mm-hmm. that would be so cool because, I mean, I had Sandra Golden on sideline in the first year, Joe Block, who now does Brewers broadcast TV and radio. Yep. Second year, I had Joe Davis, who now works for Fox and does Dodger games. He's like Fox's number two college football Mm play-by-play guy and does Major League Baseball for them. And then the third year was Tom Doerr, who called three Bulls championships for WGN in Chicago and played for Missouri, played in the NBA for a minute. So I got to know some of the coolest people Mm -hmm. and got to be around some of the nicest people. And I've learned a lot of the business there. I mean, you learn about – you learn about replay and you learn about when to get out and you learn about when to lay out and you learn about how not to step on people and you learn how to involve a sideline reporter and just things that you can only do when you're doing it. You and I can sit here and talk about Mm -hmm. it for 10 hours, but you just have to be in it and you have to see it and you have to know it Mm -hmm. and you have to do it. Coaches meetings, just how to, how to interact with coaches, how to get the best answers from coaches. I mean, we had Gus Malzahn and Hugh Freeze and, we had coaches that would go on and, and, and coach in the SEC and be big-time coaches. So it's, it, was, it was really cool to be able to do it. And, you know, that was fun, but then it, it was hard because that ESPN would come in and also take the Sunbelt games from CSS. And that, that was on E3, which would kind of turn into a, a bit of a, a proving ground or training ground. And I'll never forget the conversation when the SEC Network started they announced the first wave of talent, which was mm-hmm. like Tebow, Booger, Spears. And then there was a mm-hmm. second wave of talent, and it was like Doring and a couple of other guys. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I guess I'm out. Um, I mean, there's, there's nothing left. And so I got like two, two like SEC Network alternate games that year, and that was it. I mean, it was, it was bad. And – I remember I emailed the E3 guy and I said, Hey, you know, I know those Sunbelt teams better than anybody. I would love to do those games. And he's like, yeah, um, I don't think you do a really good job calling games, but if we have an emergency, I'll call you. We're kind of using this more to test guys out to see if we like them or not. You've pretty much done what you can do. And I was like, "Uh Oh, uh, I'm like, maybe I'm not, I, mean, I got all these people tell me I'm good at this. Maybe I'm not good at this, you know, like maybe I'm not good enough at this. So I, um, there is a, there is a guy at Auburn that I had a lot of classes with. His name is Bo Kerr. Bo is the associate AD at Sanford university in Birmingham. Now Bo worked at ESPN regional ESPN plus. Those are two other things that a lot of people listen mm-hmm. to this have no idea ever existed. 
Mm-hmm. And he kind of watched what I was doing and he heard me on other interviews on radio and stuff. And he's like, he goes, listen, we need to go to lunch one day. So we go to lunch and he sits there and starts writing down these names. You know, these are the people that you need to be contacting. These are the people mm-hmm. that you need to be getting in touch with. These are the people who can help you get on other games. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the people that you, that if you're ever going to make it, they have to know who you are and you have to know them. Start emailing them today. Send them your games, send them your clips. I mean, just, and so I did it mm-hmm. and I just started emailing them. Hey, is, how do I do here? Is this good? Do you like mm-hmm. this? Whatever, whatever. Um, and I just, from then on, you know, it, it kind of, the next year turned into a few more next year turn into a few more and then there we go um it's there's a lot of in between that um you know and, and it's it's not it wasn't just pharmaceutical sales medical sales tv mm-hmm. radio i mean that, there was a lot of life in between that um you know i can remember after my wife and i got married and that year where i had two games and you know she always thought i was good enough to do this and she would tell me that she's like i think you're awesome and i'm not just saying that because i'm your wife she's always been my biggest fan like she's always been team cube like let's make this work let's she used to do my charts for me when i was calling games with css like she printed my charts out and i make fun of her because they weren't very good charts back then compared to what i get now but yeah. anyway she 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 took the time to do them and i mean she would put the high schools the stats everything mm-hmm. and so that year i did two games I'll, I'll never forget we were sitting down one night and she's like listen we need to talk about your career. And I was like, okay. And she said, this whole TV, this whole TV thing, she said, you can do it. You're, you're, you're good enough to do it. You're definitely good enough. And I know you're passionate enough to do it. She said, but there's one problem that I have. And I said, all right, lay it on me. She said, the cold cubic that's home on Saturdays in the fall, I cannot live with that guy. She's like, now the Cole who's out doing games when he comes home and I get him during the week, I love that guy. But I can't live with the guy who's sitting on the couch watching games on Saturday, mm-hmm. she said, because I know what's going on. And she's like, I don't like that guy. And I don't want that guy in my house. So mm-hmm. figure it out or find something else to do. And I was like, man, um, okay. So I, I got an audition for a studio job uh, the second year of the SEC Network. And I, I guess it was down to like four guys and I find Stephanie at media days. And I was like, Hey, I just want to get an update. And she's like, you're, you're four on a list of three. So you didn't get it, but we loved you and you did a great job. So we're going to try to find some stuff for you. I mean, I was, I was, that was when my daughter was a baby. She was probably, I'm, I'm trying to think she was born. She was probably two months old, three months mm-hmm. old at the time. And I remember, you know, we were living in Decatur, Alabama, which is an hour and a half roughly from Birmingham. Mm-hmm. I was doing a 6 to 10 a.m. radio show at the time from Media Days in Birmingham, and I drove home. I was so, I was so pissed off, I, I drove home. I was like, I need to be around my wife, I need to be around my daughter, and I need to get away from everything Media Days because, I mean, I, I, was, I couldn't believe it. Everybody who I auditioned with, who I talked to from the network, they're like, oh, you're, dude, you're good, you're fine, whatever, you're good. And so I didn't get it. And the next day, um, I'm walking past Steve Ackles, who, for those that don't know, he, he works for ESPN and is a guy who makes a lot of decisions with college football. And he's like, listen, I, some of us thought you had that thing, so we didn't think about it, but we're going to find you some games. He's like, you're going to get a call from a Connecticut number in the morning, answer it, and just do whatever he says. I'm thinking – what kind of ruse are you trying to pull on me here? 
with like, you're just, he's trying to get rid of me, you know, whatever. He actually wasn't. And, and, and he meant it. And the next morning I get a call from a Connecticut number. He tells me, Hey, Steve's made me aware of the situation. We like your work. We're going to try to get you on some games. So this is going into the year following the year that my wife just told me, figure it out or find something else to do. And I think I did 12 games that year. It was mostly Mike Cousins and myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mike's still doing play-by-play for ESPN. And we did probably eight, seven or eight of those 12. We had a sideline analyst. His name is Kevin Weidel, who's an mm-hmm. awesome dude. And he's now a scout with the Ravens. Does an amazing job there. And we had a blast. We did two Mountain West games. We did a Conference USA game. We did a MAC game. We did three SEC Network alternate games. I think we got one game that got moved to regular SEC Network in the middle of the day on a Saturday because of rain. And we just thought, we we're like this, we're, we're, we're big time. We're huge. We made, we're, on, we're on SEC Network. And so, you know, we did, um, like we did Paxton Lynch at, at uh, Memphis, the, the game that Fuente went to Virginia Tech. Like we had that game. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some cool games, you know. I mean, it was, it was fun. Um, we did the Independence Bowl that year. So it was a fun year. And I'm kind of like, all right, you know, good year. And then the next year, uh, they, he, they put me on the crew with Tom and Andre after Laura moved on, the early game on the SEC Network. Mm-hmm. I did that that year. And then the next year, it was Jordan, Tom, and I on Saturday night. And this, if, if it's us again this year, which you know, we don't know yet, uh, that I think this will be year four for us if we're all together again so we did that for three years and a lot of other stuff in between so that's kind of the tv side of how how things happen and i mean Mm -hmm. it's obviously a lot more ups and downs in between there with that but that's just a a sort of a rough outline for the people who for for all you college students who dm me and email me and text me and ask me if i can help you and i say yes what do you want to do and you say i want to be aaron andrews or I want to be Kirk Curb Street. That's what you need to hear right there, because you don't jump over a fence and and become what a lot of the people mm-hmm. you see on television are in a matter of a year or two. Yeah, it's well, and Cole, for anyone that knows you personally, you're probably the most persistent human being that I have ever come in contact with, which is which is a huge compliment because it, it's no secret either that, you know, with you being in sales for so long and knowing how to sell yourself and, and put yourself, you know, you want to be in the best position, but when, when you're in that not so great position, you know how to dig yourself out. And that's with obviously confidence and persistence. Well, I think it comes back honestly to networking. Mm-hmm. And that is a word that I despised as a teenager growing up because it was my father's favorite word in the world. And Nothing makes him happier this day and age when he hears me tell people this part of my life because he would constantly say, networking, networking, networking. You mm-hmm. need to get to know that guy. You need to go talk to that guy. Why don't you, why don't you get that guy's number? Why don't you get his email? You, should, you need to go mm-hmm. spend some time over there. And I'm just, you're 15 or 13 or 17. You're like, just get out of my face. Like I, nobody wants to go kiss some rear end and talk about jobs. Like just stop with that. But the reality is, Networking is not going to get you mm-hmm. a television job. It's not. But there are a lot of people out there that no one would ever know who they were if they didn't know how to network themselves into a position 
to find an opportunity to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of that in how things happen for me. Um, you know, I, I knew what John Cole did and I knew to go talk to him and I knew why I was talking to him. Um, you know, I, I, when I talked to a lot of those guys in the Sun Belt about where I wanted to go every week, I would sit down with Jerry, our producer and Tom, our director. And I would ask them, how do I get to that game? How do I get to that? Game? How do I get there? What do I do to get there? And we would, those were regular conversations, you know, mm -hmm. Sandra and Joe and I would sit down and have those conversations. And so I don't, I don't think that, listen, there, there are going to be unicorns in every industry where a guy mm -hmm. plays college football or plays pro ball and he comes out and, you know, he has the Drew Brees deal where he gets done and he's just going to go into broadcasting and boom, that's it. It's over. But that's, that's one in a million as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be a lot of people out there that don't have the name, don't have the, the wherewithal, the Super Bowl rings, where they were drafted, uh, you know, the career earnings, whatever it is, or you know, being a college football Hall of Famer. And in order to get an opportunity to prove yourself, I, I think a lot of it is going to be you have to network yourself into that position. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do that, how is anybody ever going to know? I mean, then right. you're almost just relying on blind luck. You're relying on I'm so good that something's going to happen and then I'll show people how good I am. And mm -hmm. I can't, I, I just, I can't live that way. If I, if I want something, I got to find a way to, to at least put myself in a position to have a shot at it. And then if I don't get it, I don't get it. I mean, I listen, I've, I had a men's clothing store that failed. I had an insurance business that failed. I mm -hmm. sold boxes for like two months and I essentially got fired. I think they nicely asked me to quit because I was so bad at it. I was just a miserable human being. So and take the boxes with you. <laughs> no, I didn't want them. I was, it was not fun. But I've had a lot of those. I mean, I've had a, I had a radio job, which was my dream job at the time. Or we'll say half a dream job because it's always been radio and TV. And I had to walk away from it. I literally had to say, guys, here's my two weeks notice. I'm finished because they essentially quit paying me. And none of them, they, the, the hardest part about that deal, Nikki, was they all I would hear them talking about me and they would, they would be like, Oh, he's, he's going to ESPN. He must, he got a job with Sirius XM or he's, he's going to do this. And I did not have a job, <laughs> but the situation was so bad that I had to walk away. So there, there have been a lot of things in between, you know, and, and the only reason that I would get back on the air in Huntsville is because a buddy of mine, Conrad Thompson, who is a mortgage guy there and does wrestling podcasts. Now he's more popular for wrestling podcasts than mortgages. But he was always a sponsor of my shows, and he had previously put me in front of a GM who was now working over at the Yump, and mm -hmm. he knew I was available, so he went out and got me. So without networking between those guys and knowing those guys and having those conversations, I don't get back on the air. And if I don't get back on the air, I don't know if I, produce, if I go after TV the way that I did mm -hmm. when I was able to be able to find my way back. So, you know, the, the whole everything happens for a reason is very real. Mm -hmm. There have been some other, you know, some major downs in my life that have proved that. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, you, you got to find a way to put yourself in a position. It's, it's not just being good at something to be successful. If you can't put yourself where you need to be mm -hmm. to truly show how successful you can be, then you, nobody may ever know to even give you that opportunity. You love a good challenge and you challenge yourself. So where you are right now, and I mean, my gosh, coming up, hopefully, right? Hopefully on year yes. four, how do you stay uncomfortable, right? Because it's in that space of feeling uncomfortable where, where we grow the best of the best, right? Like where do you want to go from here and how do you keep yourself uncomfortable? 
Well, I think the way you stay uncomfortable is number one, not to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard question for me to answer where you want to go because sometimes I don't really know if I know. My answer to that has always mm-hmm. been the 2.30 game on CBS, which now we know that is not even going to be that anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that number one SEC game has always been my ultimate goal because mm-hmm. I mean, think about when I was playing college football and when I was watching college football as a recruit and right after I was done, I mean, that was, that was you know, we're talking like 92, 93 to 04, 08. I mean, that was the most impressionable mm-hmm. time for, this, for the SEC conference than ever, and that was the game. And the presentation's wonderful, so y- y- no one can, can deny that. So that's just always sort of been the pinnacle. But then you see different doors open and different opportunities arise. And for me, it's just to be as involved in college football as possible and to be on the best game possible. Um, I don't sit there and, you know, make these demands of I have to be in the booth or I have to be on the sideline or I have to do mm-hmm. that conference or that game. I mean, I would, I would love to expand my horizon of, of leagues that I cover. I'd love to do some Big Ten games, some ACC games, mm-hmm. some Pac-12 games. It's not that I don't want to do SEC games because you know, I do a radio show in Birmingham, Alabama, which is the best college football market in the, in the country. And yep. what do they want to talk about every day? The SEC. So that obviously lends itself mm-hmm. to one another. But there's, I don't really think there's an end. I don't ever see myself saying, you know what? We're good. We made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of, one of the one lesson that I'll always remember in this business is you know, Booger McFarland told me a while back, he said, as long as you're adding something every year, you're going to be okay. So if that's, that's more, more different radio, if that's, you know, sitting in with Van Pelt, if that's college football live, if that's doing more games during the week, just more games in general, find something to add every year. Because then, mm-hmm. and my, my favorite saying of anybody that I work with is Pat Smith, who helped start the Paul Fine Mom Show. He's now our executive producer on Jocks in Birmingham. He constantly harps create value for yourself. And if you can do that, then you're going to be really hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. So if you can host and you can be an analyst and you can do radio and you can do TV and you can do booth and you can do sideline and you can be funny and you can be rude and you can be hard on people. Like if you can do all of this, like it's like when I'm on the radio, I try to, I can be the bad guy. I can be the nice guy. Mm-hmm. I can be the analyst. I can be the goofy guy. So the more hats you can wear, the more value you, you give to whatever company you're working for. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a lot of different ways that, that you look at where you are and where you might be going. Like, I don't never thought I was doing XFL games last year. I learned or a- laying on the ground. <laughs> exactly. I learned a ton doing those games. I got to be around yeah. some really cool people doing those yeah. games. And, you know, you talked about being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Try being on the sideline. The first time that you're ever going to get to talk in an XFL game and Landry Jones just threw an interception, and this is the day after Matt McGloin went bonkers with Diana Rossini. So they already knew that they didn't want any of that stuff to happen. And he's walking up to the sideline, and Bob Stoops walks up two feet from my face and said, you ain't interviewing him. (laughs) You'd be a little uncomfortable then because you know deep down inside you're going to interview him. However it happens, we're going to make it happen. It might just be me walking up and putting the microphone over there and say, and not saying anything, but something's going to happen because we have the access 
And we saw how huge it was yesterday when another quarterback essentially lost his mind. So I think that there's different ways you can put yourself in different situations, new challenges, different challenges. And yeah, I'll welcome all of them. I want to try everything. So uh, I would still say it's the, it's the SEC game of the week. I'll put it that mm-hmm. way. And I don't even really care what the role is. But to be involved in that game has always been, I guess, the, the, the pinnacle in my eyes. Yeah. No, that's good. It's good. Do you feel like your pedigree being a former player in the SEC, I mean, because I know there are a lot of guys in your position that they haven't played the game. Do you feel like your background as a player and understanding what those players and what those coaches are thinking and feeling helps you at all? More times than not, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different ways that it helps you. Um, I think it's sometimes it's circumstantial. Um, you know, like when, when we had L.A. for the XFL, their head coach played in Seattle with Joey Galloway. So okay. immediate credibility, immediate openness. Now, Tom Harder, me, or Molly asked him a question. He's not giving us a whole lot. Joey asked him a question. Information dump. Um, the games that I do, I mean, I've been around a, a lot of these guys. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been around Jeremy Pruitt at, at a couple different places. Mm-hmm. Will Muschamp was a GA at Auburn when I was there. Um, you know, I've been around Coach O at, at multiple places, multiple times. Like Malzahn, it's not just the Auburn connection. Like I said, I called his games for CSS when he was at Arkansas State. Like I, mm-hmm. I hosted their media day with Cole Wright who's working for the Cubs now. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in the league that I work, it's a little bit different because, you know, I go to Kentucky and, you know, the offensive coordinator, Eddie Grand, was the running back coach at Auburn when I was there. Mm-hmm. I go to South Carolina and the defense coordinator, Tavares Robinson, he was my teammate at Auburn. <laughs> you know, Jimmy Brumball, the D-line coach at Tennessee, like we used to practice against each other when I was at Auburn. So when you get in those instances – it immediately opens the door and you're good. And the advantage that you usually have is there's three of you. So there might be a guy that we see an offensive coordinator that I don't have any, anything on Tom has never talked to, but then all of a sudden he and Jordan were at junior college together for a year. Mm-hmm. Boom. Everything's wide open. But then there's also the player aspect of, and one mistake that I think I make a lot of times in those meetings is I, I try to prove my football knowledge to them. Like coach, I've, and I think we all do it. I've, I've heard Joey do it. I've heard Jordan do it. I've been on mm-hmm. other crews and heard guys. I think we subconsciously want to let the – Yeah, no, Tom doesn't know enough football <laughs> to be able to do that. No, definitely not, Tom. We want to let them know, hey, I'm, I'm kind of on your level intellectually when it comes to football. So I saw what you did on the left hash on the 19 going in on that third down call. You know, why, why did you ask your offensive line to block it that way? Or what was your quarterback's read on that? Because I, I would have figured he would have gone here because the coverage was dictating mm-hmm. he could make that throw. I don't know if we have to do that ever, but I think we always kind of do. And more times than not, you'll see him light up and say, oh, you, you saw that. You saw that guy do that? I could not believe, you know, and depending on who the coach is, like, I mean, Jeremy will sit there and, mm-hmm. you know, he'll rip a guy for 20 minutes or he'll tell you how great a guy is for 20 minutes or he'll, he'll run through the script of the rest of the game for you. Like, that's how his – football mind works it's Mm -hmm. amazing so I I do think more times than not they either know you played I mean I I got got coaches that recruited me I got coaches that you know were assistant coaches coaching against me when I played you know Mm -hmm. that always helps 
But having three people also helps because they know different guys from different places. So like, perfect example, when I was on a crew with Andre, it mm-hmm. didn't matter if he had ever worked their game. It didn't matter if he had ever met him. Immediately, like Butch Jones, locked on Andre Ware. I mean, you go in Nick Saban, locked on Andre Ware. Like, every comment – Andre, blah, 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 blah. I ask a question. Well, Andre, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you forget the dude won a Heisman Trophy as a quarterback. And those guys all knew that. And think about when he was doing it, he was throwing for 6,000 yards and nobody else was doing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that probably means even more to guys who are the age of most college football head coaches these days. So it works in a little bit different ways, but Mm -hmm. either the relationship part of it, which kind of goes back to networking, or the fact that they know that you put into it what the like the funniest thing that Tom and I talk about and Jordan and I we talk about this the funniest thing is we go in there the first time we ever meet with Pruitt and I think this may have actually been in Alabama when he was the DC before mm-hmm. he took the Tennessee job and we we finish up and he's like all right guys we done really like, yeah he said I, I gotta ask y'all so y'all just get paid to watch film. And that's, that's all y'all do? I mean, I want that job. I just, I, I cannot believe that. Y'all just get, they pay y'all money to sit around and watch film. <laughs> I mean, coach, if you want to trade paychecks, I mean, I'll be, I'll be glad to. But, um, but it's just, you don't, different guys see it different ways. And, mm-hmm. and it's, most of those meetings are, are phenomenal. Some are yeah. terrible, but most of them are great because most of the coaches you've had before, they know that you're going to do them right. They know that you want to try to make the game as easy for the fans to understand. So being a former player absolutely helps, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Colt, let's pretend that football, that it, it's for it's certainly happening, right? Like it's, it's going to happen this fall. Is there a storyline aside from the whole, you know, COVID-19 implications and what that sure. looks like shoot for the players, heck, even the production truck of how many people are even going to be able to yeah. physically be at the games. Uh, is there a storyline aside from that, that you're most anxious of following specifically with SEC this year? Uh I mean, it's kind of all of football, and it still has a mm-hmm. little bit to do with, with COVID. But, Nikki, I'm really interested in just what the football is going to look like. <laughs> is it going to be flag football or? <laughs> I think it's going to be close to it. Um, I mean, I think, if, I think we're embarking on the least physical college football season we've ever seen just because these guys haven't been doing it. And the only way to get good at blocking and tackling is to to be out there in pads and doing it against other guys. And then I think, too, when they're allowed to come back and practice, because they didn't do it in the spring and because they haven't been working out with their strength coaches in their facilities, building the kind of strength, power, speed that they need or are used to having, I think most coaches subconsciously in fall practice are not going to push them hard. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be terrified to lose guys. And they're going to say, I'd rather risk losing a guy in a game, and at least I know we started out having them, than losing a couple guys in practice and knowing we're not going to have them in any games. So I think that actually ends up working against the players because then your body's less acclimated for what the mm-hmm. season's going to look like. I think we're going to have a lot more quarterback runs this year because it's just going to be easier. Uh, it's easy to tell a quarterback, hey, pull the zone read and, and take it and go. Or you know what? Add an extra blocker and run quarterback counter. 
um, you know, if, if, because they just haven't had the time on the field to process what things are going to look like or feel like or mm -hmm. be like. And that's not just – people are obsessed with just spring practice. But what people need to understand about today's college football is those kids go out there in the summer and they legitimately have a practice every night. It's not just seven on seven anymore and guys are horsing around and maybe throwing some routes. I mean, it is an organized team function. They mm -hmm. go out and they stretch together. They have periods. And then it's, you know, the first team offense and the first team defense. And they run plays. And they, they can do it on their own because it has been being done now for multiple years. So they know how to organize it. That hasn't been happening. So timing, rhythm, chemistry, all of that, you don't really know what it's going to look yeah. like. Um, so just what can you install? What do you feel comfortable giving a quarterback? What do you feel comfortable calling as a defensive coordinator? You know, how, how much do you let your guys you know, freelance and do different things? I think all that's going to be different. So I'm, I'm most interested in what the football is going to look like. Um, from an individual team perspective, I think Florida and Texas A&M are really interesting. Mm -hmm. I think Texas A&M has the schedule, a senior quarterback, plenty of weapons, best group of tight ends in the country, should have a pretty good offensive line, a great offensive mind in Jimbo, a great defensive mind in Elko. I mean, they. it's time for Texas A&M to take a step. If they're going to truly – be a player in this league. It can't be a one and done Johnny Manziel crazy season. It's it's they. This is the year that they should be able to prove we belong, especially with how that schedule is laid out. And I think Florida has a lot of pieces to be really good. I like Kyle Trask a lot. Uh, I think he's he's a gamer. He's tough. And uh, you talk to Dan Mullen about him. He he raves about how he understands where to go with the football and make good decisions. And this that might be more important than anything this year. It's just mm -hmm. guys making good decisions. You might not need 80-yard touchdowns on every other possession, but if you can not turn it over and, you know, chew up yards and eat the clock and maintain possession mm -hmm. and get in field goal range, you know, not kill yourself with a sack here or there, I mean, those are things that, that are going to go a little bit further this year in actually winning games. I think Mohamed Diabate is going to be a breakout player for them on defense. I think their style of defense actually helps. In, in a time like this because mm -hmm. you got guys coming from everywhere. Grantham's bringing packages and this and that. Well, he doesn't have to have time to install it because he's just going to run it. He's just, mm -hmm. I mean, he's just going to go. It doesn't matter if they're running triple option or if it's air raid, like he's blitzing, he's blitzing. It's mm -hmm. the same stuff. And so that might be advantageous for a team like that. Who's just attack, 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 as opposed to, you know, trying to play chess and scheme and find matchups and different things like that. So, mm -hmm. Those are two teams in the league I'm really interested to see sort of how things play out for this fall. Love it. Hopefully we're playing in the fall. So, okay, these are some closing questions that I ask every guest, right? Okay. So the first one is, if you could report from a sideline, any organization, any team, who would it be? I mean, it's got to be the Steelers. I'm a Steelers. lifetime Steelers fan. <laughs> I mean – I don't really view myself as, as an NFL guy um, because kind of what you said earlier about, mm -hmm. you know, having played, but I think, you know, reporting could be something that I could do. And I think, you know, being, knowing how much so many members of my family love that mm -hmm. team. And if I could be on the sideline for a game that they were playing in and my family could watch mm -hmm. that, I mean, that would be, because I've done an Auburn game. I've done multiple Auburn games. So that's, you know, uh, now, there are other games that not, don't necessarily include a team, 
like college football mm-hmm. playoff, national championship yeah. game, Rose Bowl, all those would be great. But if you're talking the individual team, it would mm-hmm. have to be the Steelers. Absolutely. Have you done a game at Heinz Field before? No. Mm-mm. You haven't? I've been to a couple games as a fan, but no, I haven't done a game there. But not maybe maybe you need to push that to the people that can make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's That'd it's pretty cool. surreal. I I know this is I know this is about you, but you'll you'll appreciate this story. It was Thanksgiving. Michael was playing for the Steelers. They had me on a Pitt Miami game. So day nice. game. Or no, it was a it was a Friday night because Thanksgiving I spent with my crew. Can Jimmy did that game with me? I'm trying to remember who else. And I think Adam, I mean. Nice. I think that was our crew. And so Michael was playing at Baltimore. So Thanksgiving night and Friday. So I'm watching that game in my hotel room at Pitt, in Pittsburgh, ready to do the pit game the next day. I come home uh, after my game, you know, we're at the apartment in Pittsburgh, South side. Cole, that Saturday was the first Saturday Michael and I had ever watched college football together. And that wow. was south carolina clemson and that was auburn alabama the kick six game and we're both sitting on our couch in our apartment going what will just happen awesome. how do we top this college football saturday so that was I'll pretty give cool you my, uh, so people ask me this all the time like what's your what's your kick six story so i was i was doing arkansas state at louisiana lafayette with tom <laughs> door I had the game on my iPad, but keep in mind, this is 2013, so, you know, the whole streaming thing is not necessarily perfected just yet. Right. So, the game is on, and, of course, we're calling the game, but in breaks, we're watching it, we take a peek over, and it's just, it's just back and forth, just incredible game, and we're, we're kind of in the middle of a play, and it, the thing is frozen, it's like, towards the end of the game, it starts freezing up a lot, we're not really getting much of it. But we're watching what is about to take place. We knew they were lining up for a field goal. And, of course, the screen mm-hmm. sort of freezes up and we call a play. And I look down at my phone and it's just like message notification. Boom, 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 You're boom, like boom, who boom, died boom, at this point, right? And, I, I mean, it's, I, I thought something bad was happening. And, I mean, you can imagine, like, because they're coming from, like, my cousin in California and, you know, my mom. And all, I'm just like, what are these random people? Uh, my teammates, like Ben Leard and Ryan Hooker, and, you know, Rob Pate. I'm just like, what is ha- what? And so we, we go to break and Tom takes his headset off. He goes, what, what just happened over there? And I'm like, and it, it, so it comes back on. The iPad pops back up right after it's over. And I never forget the first thing that I saw was that shot of Avery Young on the sidelines with his hand over his mouth and his eyes wide open. And he's looking around and he legitimately can't believe you can tell he can't believe what just happened. And I looked at Tom and I said, I have no idea, but I think Auburn won the game. (laughs) He's like, Alabama was kicking a field goal. I said, I, I, I I said, my phone's telling me is something unbelievably massively crazy just took place, but I didn't see it. And he was like, how did you not see it? I was like, we're calling a game and the iPad froze. I, I don't know. So he was mad at me that I didn't know what happened in the other game that was on TV. So that's my kick six story. I never, I did not see it happen live. Uh, and that's I was amazing. actually, I was at, at Cajun Field calling uh, ULL welcoming Arkansas State. So yeah, that, that, that's how I went, went down watching that game. What a dream. Now things would be different. You would know, you would know quickly. 
and then you'd break uh, yeah. the news on air probably right well now in the state the stadium that we were in if it, if it happened to be a stoppage in play they would just put the game up on, on mm-hmm. the big screen i mean it's amazing some of these yeah you go to some of these games and it's like they call a timeout and if there's a big moment taking place they'll just put it on the jumbotron like you mm-hmm. just watch it The other question that I always like to ask people, and especially this is fun for you because of obviously the given nature of of your place, you know, and on a broadcast team, but if you could have anyone and you can't, and and Tom and Jordan are not allowed, if you could have anyone do play-by-play and color of your life, who would it be? Oh, of my whole life? Yeah, your whole, you're like the Cole Kublik story. Farm sales, selling boxes and all. (laughs) Who would it be? (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, it's gotta be, it's tough because I would like to just go straight Madden Summerall and just let them do the whole thing, but I'm going to put Keith Jackson in there. Okay. But I'm going to put Keith Jackson with John Madden, which I think would be pretty incredible, by the way. Surely um, there's an editor out there somewhere that could like someone make that happen be for so you. Good. That would be so good. <laughs> I'm trying to think sideline. Um, man, that's good. I'll bring, I would bring Weidel out of retirement and throw him down there. Make him, make him, yeah, make him get out of scouting and do it just because I know he was good at it. And, uh, he would, he would bring the technical football stuff when we needed it. So, Mm -hmm. because I don't think, I mean, Madden just, you know, drawing pictures and talking about turkeys and Keith Jackson's giving you great quotes, but, uh, Weidel would bring like the football nerd stuff there. Right. Well, that, that's actually, that makes me want to ask you a good question though. Now the difference between sideline reporter, sideline analyst, break it down for me. Sideline reporter. I mean, I think, I think a sideline analyst sort of has to be both. You you Mm -hmm. have to, I mean, I've, I've had to report on things that I, I didn't think were monumental or as important or didn't mean as much to me, but I know it means a lot to the game and that's Mm -hmm. your job. and And you have to do that at times. Um, the sideline analyst, I would say it's, it's a, the game becomes a three-man booth. It's just one of them has to be standing on the field. Mm-hmm. And I can give a different perspective. And we've seen three-man booths before. You've seen a game where there's play-by-play and then two color guys that are sitting mm-hmm. in the booth. But the difference is because of where I'm located and what I can see and what I can hear and the different angles that I have, and, and I think it works in our case as well that you have a quarterback in the booth with Jordan and I'm a lineman on the field. He's not going to be watching the stuff I'm watching and I'm not watching the stuff he's watching. So we're able to give different perspectives on different things. But uh, I think it's more my job to analyze what's happening in the game as opposed to sort of finding extra things on the perimeter of the game or the action that can help tell mm-hmm. the story of what's going on in the game, which I try to find those things too. I mean, I, I know that those things – are important to the game. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of viewers that care a lot about it. So if I see a player and a coach going at each other, I, I want to tell you about it. You know, if I see a guy that's banged up, I need to let you know, you know, Hey, Terry Wilson had a knee. He's, he's I don't, I don't think he's coming back based on what I saw. Um, or you get the information and you need to share it that a guy's not going to return to the game because especially now with what's become legal in a lot of different States, there's a lot of people that want to know that stuff for a lot of different reasons. So mm-hmm. I, I think you have to su- try to serve every viewer. Um, but an analyst, I think, talks about the game, the X's and O's, the hows and whys of what happened within plays. And the reporter sort of gives you everything that's happening around the action uh, that helps tell you the story of maybe emotionally 
why a certain team is doing something or how something on, that we didn't see on camera is going to impact a team for the rest of the game. Eyes and ears, right? Yep, absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time. I hope people will be able to see and hear you this fall. We'll hear you for sure on the radio, but I know that the TV stuff too will be, uh, that gives you life in the fall. Yep. So let's hope for football this fall and for people that um, might not be following you because you come hard at the folk on the Twitter police. So <laughs> I think if anything, you need to give your Twitter handle so that people can just watch you do your thing. Cause it is fantastic. Uh, at Cole Kubelik, C-O-L-E-C-U-B-E-L-I-C. Uh, that's Twitter, Instagram. I think that's it. I'm down to just two social media accounts now. I don't need any more than that. Facebook, if that counts. But I think I'm at the friend limit, and I don't even go there much. That's not a, that's not a safe place these days. So, I so are you staying away from TikTok? Are y'all going to do a TikTok uh, this, this fall? <laughs> Negative. Tom tried to recruit me to do TikTok last year. No, he didn't. We had to, something happened to our, we got a flight canceled in Atlanta and it was my connection. And then we had to drive to Columbia for a game because the flight got canceled. So we rode together and the majority of the drive, he's on his TikTok trying to convince me to get on TikTok and do TikTok things with him. And I, I swore right then and there, no TikTok for me. I'm anti TikTok. I'm out on TikTok. I'm not going to do it. And I still don't think that he's come up with anything good for his TikTok, but I wouldn't know because I don't, I don't go there. That's, that's not a place for me. So Amazing. I just you draw the it. line when, when Tom wants you to do TikTok things. That, that's you know, what I, I learned from this. I asked him, I, I said, you know, you act like a 16 year old girl a lot. And I said, this is your most 16 year old girl moment you've ever had is attempting to create a TikTok account that people actually uh, want to go see. So no, they don't sir. Tom, they don't. No, no TikTok for me, not happening. Will not That's do it. I mean, hopefully it's gone by the time my five-year-old daughter even knows what social media is. So Ain't that the truth? I'm right there with you, brother. Well, hey, I think we are TikTok out of time, but this has been awesome. Cole, wish you the best friend. So proud of you and you just keep rocking it. Thank you, Nikki. Really cool catching up with you and glad that uh, glad you and Michael are doing well. So thanks for having me on. If you ever want to know anything about football, and specifically SEC football, Cole's your guy. The dude is a walking encyclopedia and is a student of the game, in addition to his craft, probably more than anyone else I've ever met. Football is officially happening this fall, and you'll be able to see him across ESPN networks as an analyst and guest. Thanks for tuning in to Sidelines and Storylines. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.